0: Welcome, everybody, to this episode of The The History History Sisters. Sisters. Today, we're going
1: to talk about
0: the Truman Doctrine. And my name is Katie. I'm Sophie. If you've listened to one of our previous episodes, you are going to be familiar with the structure of our podcast. Um, First, Katie is going to tell us a little bit about the historical context of the speech by then US President Truman. Then we're gonna hear the speech, read out by Katie. Then we're gonna discuss a little bit about the speech. This is a podcast where we present well-known yet unknown speeches, (laughs) their presenters, and the historical context. Yay! Our intro this time is a little coding, but maybe that kind of fits the time where this Speech is taking place, so why don't we just get right into it before we screw up our intro even more? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Katie here for our usual disclaimer. First of all, this is just all our opinion. Please keep that in mind whenever you listen to our podcast. Um, if you have a different opinion from us, please head over to our Instagram, which is at History Sisters Pod, or write us an email, which is the History Sisters Pod at gmail.com and tell us everything you would like, if we pronounced something wrong, if you th- think that something we said is wrong, um, or if we insulted you, we didn't mean to insult anyone with anything we said, if we did, we're truly, truly sorry. Second of all, during recording the historical context and the discussion part, we ran into some technical difficulties. So if you hear some weird sounds in the background, that's the reason for it. We're truly sorry if it bothers you, and we hope you can still listen to the episode. Please keep in mind, we're still learning. This is our first time doing a podcast, so we try to improve every time. Every episode, we try to get better. If you have any recommendations how we can uh, step up our podcast game, please make sure to uh, tell us again on our Instagram or per mail. Okay, now I've talked enough, let's get right into it.
0: It was just both sides like throwing these allegations at each other. And if history would have taken another term, we would treat and view and sort of evaluate what all the American politicians or US politicians were saying in the same way that we now look back at Soviet politicians and speeches and policies And just condemn them for being so stupid and so dumb and so just without foresight and i think i i just i know it doesn't make a lot of sense but sometimes i like playing in especially in history the what if game
1: yeah yeah and i think um especially in this case in the cold war period there were so many possibilities for the what ifs to actually happen there were so many possibilities for the cold war to end sooner or to not even get to the point that it got to that eventually like destroyed the Soviet Union um economically not militarily um
0: but it just didn't happen because everyone was just they were just so convinced of their own ideas and ideals and it seems like we've been really lucky that during those times there were especially leaders of those nations or like really people really high in power that either had common sense or were willing to compromise on some level because otherwise we would probably not be here today like we would be eradicated from nuclear weapons
1: yeah that was that what if possibility was there the whole time and it was so so close for in a few points to actually happen to have everything destroyed by nuclear weapons and for some reason people just in power just don't go there they always just say i can and what if i do but they don't go there because they know that it would not be good for anyone because they would just be gone as well as their enemy.
0: So it was mainly um, to agree to a strategy that those countries in Europe, which were struck or hit most by the war and had previously associations with Nazi Germany, either by being partners of it or by you know, being conquered and then taken over yeah. by Nazi Germany, for those nations to Get be help. supported in a way that they become independent and not like, yeah, sort of like little brother states of the two bigger ones. Exactly.
1: This was mostly done by financial help. Yeah, by financial aid or by military aid if um there was, you rub blood all over your arm. Mm, um. Nice. <laughs> Let's go. Tell me. Okay, so the Truman Doctrine is named after the 33rd president of the US, Harry S. Truman. All in all, you could say the Truman Doctrine is an important international guideline for the time after World War II. So, um, during World War II... During World War II, the Allies or the victorious powers only thought of how to defeat Germany and therefore the state they signed some treaties and they
0: probably wouldn't have if it wasn't for defeating Germany. All right, um, we're talking about Great Britain, the Soviet Union and the United States plus... France, but uh, they only came later existing on. existing France.
1: <laughs> yeah, and they only came later on, and they didn't really play that big of a role. Tensions began to rise, especially between the US and the Soviets. It's because their ideology and their visions for the future were just so, so different. Especially uh, when it came to how to impose their thinking on Germany. That went to a point where there had to be several conferences so that things wouldn't clash. Um,
0: which they eventually did anyway. Yeah,
1: they eventually <laughs> did anyways, but uh, later on, our speeches way before things started to clash. Um, but the most known conference, or the conference that is most important to our speech today, is the conference in Yalta, um, which was one of the last conferences they actually did. There was a decision made to to help Europe rebuild itself so that the countries um, have their own economy and can be independent again or by military aid if there was um, a civil war broken out like in Greece or in Turkey which we're going to come to in a second. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the biggest decisions that was made is that in every country there should be free elections. This is a promise um, every of the victorious powers had to sign and promise um, because it was for the us who was like the main force behind this um this decision was like very important which it is if you can't have free elections for yourself how are you supposed to build your uh get your autonomy back oh. um the soviets though they broke this pro promise and when the elections in 1947 in poland were abrupted so that the communist party won Mm -hmm. so at some point they just said okay the elections we're just gonna cancel them right now because right now the communist party is like leading so we're just not gonna have to be on any other way this was something that made the um Especially America, very, very mad <laughs> um this is one of the reasons that the speech happened, but the like indicator for the speech uh, were was the civil war in Greece mm-hmm. um, where the Soviet Union supported the rebels who mm-hmm. were communists who wanted to throw over the government, and the u s supported the Greek government because they didn't want the co- wanted the communists to win over another country, so it was kind of uh
0: war just in another country from like the two parties so it's kind of like those wars we know from like what we call like the cold war period like yeah. in korea or vietnam. vietnam or afghanistan or
1: stuff like that exactly okay. um so after world war Two ended as you can already tell the soviet union and the uh US Americans weren't on the same page. They both wanted to be number 1 in power. They both wanted to lead the world because they were the big two biggest powers they were at that time in the whole world because every basically every other country was either too small to like come close to them or was just so beaten up by the war that they just ha- didn't have any chance to become like cl- close to them um for mostly That was the case for Britain, who was one of the leading um, powers in the world, but it was so beaten up by the war
0: that it just didn't happen anymore. So everybody else either lacked geographical space or financial resources, basically. So Um, either you're too small or too
1: poor. Other than them being, like, the biggest forces they were also the heads of the bipolar world that manifested itself during the uh, cold war period okay now we know the basic context um let's look at the speech itself um so the speech is a policy of containment and repression of communism, communism aka the Soviets. Mm-hmm. um us was sure that all the soviet union wanted was to take over the world and vice versa mm-hmm. so actually well you could say well they just both thought that the other person wanted that they actually did wanted that so both wanted to grow and become the number one world power so their their allegations were actually true against each other what the speech says besides um, wanting to repress the communism is that they, um, Truman, calls for a self-determination right for free people. Um, free people are basically the countries in Europe without totalitarian regimes or that are still neutral. So basically all the countries except for those that are already taken over by the Soviets. mm mm-hmm. Um, and with self-determination right, Right. he basically just meant to give them the possibility to go and get themselves a democracy um, he also really said that they, that America needs to provide help for countries in danger of being suppressed by the Soviets or by their own yeah, their own civil wars or their own not being able to handle the situation Wait. while um, Truman like covers his, like, story up to be this very human-friendly and wanting to give everybody the best version that they could get, he, um, actually used this cover-up to take the right out of it that America was, um able to meddle in other countries' businesses to prevent communism from happening. So they basically said, "Well, we're going to give you the opportunity to get a democracy. For that, you give us the right to do whatever we want. If we don't like what you do, we can just jump in and like do your your
0: stuff, like do your politics, your economics, everything." You know what I find interesting? I mean, in hindsight, we know that communism Did't slash doesn't work L- let's exclude the communism how it's been um you know lived and developed in China because that obviously kind of works, but in that way, the Soviets were proposing and spreading it at that time there was no proof there was it was working like at that yeah. time the Soviets were powerful they were so it's like, it, it's so weird to me that at this time, um, people, or in this case, Truman and the Americans, were so convinced that theirs was better.
1: So um, the speech was held on March 12, 1947,
0: and it was held in... in front of a joint session of the US Congress. Okay. And he held the speech um, in response to. A request by the Greek government for more financial aid, yeah, for
1: more financial aid because of their civil war that was going on, well, they were not actually only requesting financial aid but also the aid of um like supervision of how they spend these this these dollars or the, the money that they would get and for military support in their civil war against those rebels
0: all right, that's awesome. Let's get right into it because I had no idea that. Greece and Turkey were part of the Truman Doctrine speech. Me either, and I'm really
1: excited to read it out and I hope you guys enjoy it, so let's go. Mr. President, Mr. Speaker, members of the Congress of the United States, I do not believe that the American people and the Congress wish to turn a deaf ear to the appeal of the Greek government. Greece is not a rich country. Lack of sufficient natural resources has always forced the Greek people to work hard to make both ends meet. Since 1940, this industrious and peace-loving country has suffered invasion, four years of cruel enemy occupation and bitter internal strife. When forces of liberation entered Greece, they found that the retreating Germans had destroyed virtually all the railways, roads, port facilities, communications and merchant marine. More than a thousand villages had been burned. 85% of the children were tubercular. Livestock, poultry and draft animals had almost disappeared. Inflation had wiped out practically all savings. As a result of these tragic conditions, a militant minority exploiting human want and misery was able to create political cause chaos which, until now, has made economic recovery impossible. The gravity of the situation which confronts the world today necessitates, necessitates, necessitates my appearance before a joint session of the Congress. The foreign policy and the national security of this country are involved. One aspect of the present situation, which I wish to present to you at this time for your consideration and decision, concerns Greece and Turkey. Technicians, to ensure that the financial and other aid given to Greece shall be used a fit. Greece is today without funds to finance the importation of the, those goods which are essential to bear subsistence. Under these circumstances, the people of Greece cannot make progress in solving the problems of reconstruction. Greece is in desperate need of financial and economic assistance to enable it to resume purchases of food, clothing, fuel and seeds. These are indispensable for the subsistence of its people and are obtainably only from abroad. Greece must have helped to import these goods necessary to restore internal order and security so essential for economic and political recovery. The Greek government has also asked for the assistance of experienced American administrators, economists and the United States has received from the Greek government an urgent appeal for financial and economic assistance. Preliminary reports from the American economics mission now in Greece and reports from the American ambassador in Greece corroborate the statement of the Greek government that assistance is imperative if Greece is to survive as a free nation, effectively in creating a stable and self-sustaining economy and in improving its public administration. The very existence of the Greek state is today threatened by the terrorist activities of several thousand armed men led by communists led by communists who defy the government's authority at a number of points particularly along the northern boundaries a commission appointed by the United Nations Security Council is at present investigating disturbed conditions in northern Greece and alleged border violations along the frontier between Greece on the one hand and Albania, Bulgaria and Yugoslavia on the other. Meanwhile, the Greek government is unable to cope with the situation. The Greek army is small and poorly equipped. It needs supplies and equipment if it is to restore the authority of the government through Greek territory. Greece must have assistance if it is to become a self-supporting and self-respecting democracy. And its related organizations are not in a position to extend help of the kind that is required. The United States must supply this, that assistance. We already have extended to Greece certain types of relief and economic, economic aid, but these are inadequate. There is no other country to which democratic Greece can, can turn. No other nation is willing and able to provide the necessary support for a democratic Greek government. The British government, which has been helping Greece, can give no further financial or economic aid after March 30th. Great Britain finds itself under the necessity of of reducing or liquidating its commitments in several parts of the world, including Greece. We have considered how the United Nations might assist in this crisis. But the situation is an urgent one, requiring immediate action and the United Nations. It is important to note that the Greek government has asked for our aid in utilizing effectively the financial and other assistance we may give to Greece and in improving its public administration is that its defects are always visible and under democratic processes can be pointed out and corrected. The government of Greece is not perfect. Nevertheless, it represents 85% of the members of the Greek parliament who were chosen in an election last year. Foreign observers, including 692 Americans, considered this election to be a fair expression of the views of the Greek people. The Greek government has been operating in an atmosphere of chaos and extremism. It has made mistakes. The extension of aid by this country does not mean that the United States condones everything that the Greek government has done or will do. We have condemned in the past and we condemn now extremist measures of the right or the left. We have in the past advised tolerance and we advise tolerance now. Greece's neighbor, Turkey, also deserves our attention. The future of Turkey as an independent and economically sound state is clearly no less important to the freedom-loving peoples of the world than the future of Greece. The circumstances in which Turkey finds itself today are considerably different from those of Greece. Turkey has been spared the disasters that have beset Greece. And during the war, the United States and Great Great Britain furnished Turkey with material aid. Nevertheless, Turkey now needs our support. It is of the utmost importance that we supervise the use of any funds made available to Greece, in such a manner that each dollar spent will count toward making Greece self-supporting and will help to build an economy in which a healthy democracy can flourish. No government is perfect. One of the chief virtues of a democracy, however, Since the war, Turkey has sought financial assistance from Great Britain and the United States for the purpose of effecting that modernization necessary for the maintenance of its national integrity. That integrity is essential to the preservation of order in the Middle East. The British government has informed us that owing to its own difficulties can no longer extend financial or economic aid to Turkey. As in the case of Greece... If Turkey is to have the assistance it needs, the United States must supply it. We are the only country able to provide that help. I am fully aware of the broad implications involved if the United States extends assistance to Greece and Turkey, and I shall discuss these implications with you at this time. One of the primary objectives of the foreign policy of the United States is the creation of conditions in which we and other nations will be able to work out a way of life, free from coercion. This was a fundamental issue in the war with Germany and Japan. Our victory was won over countries, which sought to impose their will and their way of life upon other nations. To ensure the peaceful development of nations, free from coercion, The United States has taken a leading part in establishing the United Nations. The United Nations is designed to make possible lasting freedom and independence for all its members. We shall not realize our objective, however, unless we are willing to help free people to maintain their free institutions and their national integrity against aggressive movements that seek to impose upon them totalitarianism against aggressive movements that seek to impose upon them totalitarian regimes. This is no more than a frank recognition that totalitarian regimes imposed on free people by direct or indirect aggression undermine the foundations of international peace and hence the security of the United States. The people of a number of countries of the world have recently had totalitarian regimes forced upon them against their will. The government of the United States has made frequent protests against coercion and intimidation in violation of the Yalta Agreement in Poland, Romania and Bulgaria. I must also state that in a number of other countries there have been similar developments. At the present moment in world history, nearly every nation must choose between alternative ways of life. The choice is too often not a free one. One way of life is based upon the will of the majority and is distinguished by free institutions, representative, government, free elections, guarantees of individual liberty, freedom of speech and religion, and freedom from a political oppression. The second way of life is based upon the will of a minority, forcibly imposed upon the majority. It relies upon terror and oppression, a controlled press and radio, fixed elections, and the suppression of personal freedoms. I believe that it must be the policy of the United States to support free people who are resisting attempted subjugation by armed minorities or by outside pressures. I believe that we must assist free peoples to work out their own destinies in their own way. I believe that our help should be primarily through... Economic and financial aid, which is essential to economic stability and orderly political processes. Collapse of free institutions and loss of independence would be disastrous, not only for them but for the world. Discouragement and possibly failure would quickly be the lot of neighboring peoples striving to maintain their freedom and independence. Should we fail to aid Greece and Turkey in this fateful hour, the effect will be far-reaching to the west as well as to the east. We must take immediate and resolute action. I therefore ask the Congress to provide authority for assistance to Greece and Turkey in the amount of 4 billion US dollars for the period ending June. The world is not static and the status quo is not sacred. But we cannot allow changes in the status quo in violation of the Charter of the United Nations by such methods as coercion or by such subterfuges as political infiltration. In helping free and independent nations to maintain their freedom, the United States will be giving effect of the principles of the Charter of the United Nations. It is necessary only to glance at a map to realize that the survival and the integrity of the Greek nation are of grave importance in much wider situation. If Greece should fall under the control of an armed minority, the effect upon its neighbor, Turkey, would be immediate and serious. Confusion and disorder might well spread throughout the entire Middle East. Moreover, the disappearance of Greece as an independent state would have a profound effect upon those countries in Europe whose peoples are struggling against great difficulties to maintain their freedoms and their independence while they repair the damages of war. It would be an unspeakable tragedy if these countries, which have struggled so long against overwhelming odds, should lose that victory for which they sacrificed so much. 30th, 1948 in requesting these funds, I have taken into consideration the maximum amount of relief assistance which would be furnished to Greek out of the $350 billion which I recently requested that the Congress authorize for the prevention of starvation and suffering in countries devastated by the war. I would not recommend it, except that the alternative is much more serious. The United States contributed. In addition to funds, I asked the Congress to authorize the detail of American civilian and military personnel to Greece and Turkey, at the request of those countries, to assist in the task of reconstruction and for the purpose of supervising the use of such financial and material assistance as may be furnished. $341 trillion toward winning World War II. This is an investment in world freedom and world peace. The assistance that I'm recommending for Greece and Turkey amounts to little more than one-tenth or one percent of this investment. It is only common sense that we should safeguard this investment and make sure that it was not in vain. The seeds of totalitarian regimes are nurtured by misery and want. They spread and grow in the evil soil of poverty and strife. They reach their full growth when the hope of a people for a better life has died. We must keep that hope alive. The free peoples of the world look to us for support in maintaining their freedoms. If we falter in our leadership, we may endanger the peace of the world, and we shall surely endanger the welfare of our own nation. Great responsibilities have been placed upon us by the swift movement of events. I am confident that the Congress will face these responsibilities squarely. different (coughs) cities, different... Ages, maybe as well.
0: Yeah, and maybe if you uh, encountered a speech in one of your educational institutions that you went through. I thought it was really interesting. So, obviously, I had heard of it since we study, even in school, but obviously also at university, a lot about World War II. And I think studying World War II without the Truman Doctrine wouldn't be. wouldn't make sense. Yeah, it would be possible, at least in Germany.
1: I mean, I chose it because I just went through it in history lesson again. I think I already went through it or over it with my teacher like two years ago. But we did it again like two weeks ago and I just found it interesting and I wanted to go over it more in detail. So I chose it. So in Germany, we quite often encounter the Cold War period and World War II and Truman Doctrine.
0: And yet I had no absolutely no idea that the speech actually started with or from the request by the Greek government I had absolutely no idea because I've never seen or read or heard the speech in full I only like I always knew about the more general part um but yeah so thank you that was really interesting and kind of um opened my eyes a little bit that obviously no speech is held without a a specific reason when i researched the speech
1: i was like am i reading the right speech because i was so confused because i have never heard of the turkey grease thing and then like the first two pages are only about that and i was
0: like am i even on the right speech like (laughs) what (laughs) and i think that shows us with so many speeches that that get famous that usually it's only parts or maybe even just a sentence mm. and then it's just like generalized and with, with time passing on it's put in this context and only like certain parts from it are like drawn out and highlighted all the time and we get taught about the speech and what it meant in a certain light and also always with hindsight i don't think that at that time Truman like would have thought of it of this like doctrine that still exists today that shaped just like international politics Mm -hmm. so much and um to me also, what I find interesting is that it was given in nineteen forty seven so the world war had literally like just finished two years ago with the atomic bomb dropping on japan mm-hmm. and I love how this like how he contrasts like the United States and their perception of democracy and their like, more or less ideology of capitalism as this, like, good thing, as this freedom thing. It's, like, it guarantees individual liberty, as he says. And then, on the other hand, we have communism as this evil and totally wrong thing. I love how he, like, he proceeds this, and I quote, at the present moment in world history, nearly every nation must choose between alternative ways of life. The choice is too often, not a free one, and then he goes on like comparing like what the u s is able to offer and what the Soviet Union offers first of all, there were many nations that had a totally different ideology and a totally different completely. system completely so it's not the choice between two things, like there yeah. were so many i mean obviously in Europe they had just like they had just beaten fascism and totalitarian systems but there were many other places where there was this still going on and actually there were a lot of places with more or less totalitarian totalitarian, uh, Totalitarian systems um, leaders and the United States would actually support them or even put such people in power in the coming years in order to prevent communism from spreading there. Yeah. And I think what is really like comes through in the speech is this new perception of the United States of itself as like one of the like the great power which they weren't before, like before World War II, they were more like isolationist kind of and also this world police which they I mean they took on this role after World War II. They stuck by this role and I mean, to be fair, also the world kind of, after a while, just kept the United States in this role.
1: And they don't do a complete, or they didn't do and they don't do a completely bad job and it's not like that, it's just how they, like, completely self-explanatory just grabbed this role, even though, like, every other country would have had the right to, maybe except for the Germans at that point.
0: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I guess I, it's just like this thing where you have you just had this huge war, and the great power before the Second World War was obviously Great Britain,
1: and they're just basically gone. Like they don't have anything. They don't have money. They don't have people anymore. They don't have any any res resources. They don't have much colonies left. Yeah, they are basically completely destroyed by World War Two. Yeah. So now this spot is open and everyone just fights for it. And everyone is basically two countries because these two countries just eliminate everyone else who wants to fight for it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, as we covered with like, quit India to go back to Great Britain, I think it's just so telling. They were the power yeah. for so long. And I mean they still have colonies at this point, but as you said, they don't have any money left. Their infrastructure is more or less like destroyed by war. They were I mean to I mean to be to be fair to the britons as well in this context. They were fighting Nazi Germany for quite some time by themselves.
1: Yeah, they did. Like it's not like they just failed because they were just too, too dumb to do this fight. Like they Fought a freaking long time, yeah, by themselves without really any help,
0: because like France was basically destroyed in like what one day, like one month, two months. So yeah, like, and they kept like asking the United States for help, and they just help. didn't want, and they didn't want that, which was mainly due to the thing that it was shortly before an election, and nobody wanted to take the risk to say, yeah, we're gonna join this war now, because they no. knew they would lose the election. How he says, or how Truman says in his speech, "...great responsibilities have been placed upon us by the swift movement of events." And I think that actually captures what happened very good, in that all of a sudden they were the leading power. And, I mean, to be fair, like, they, their goal was to, to make sure that there's freedom and especially peace. And they saw themselves as peacekeepers and they were in a position where they could do that. Like the government was supported by the people because it was elected by the people, they had the money, they had other resources that they could pour into this. And um as probably we... the most stable democracy of that time. Right. And that's a fair like assessment Truman does yeah. here. But what I find so freaky is that that was 1947. That's, what, more than 60 years ago? Yeah, 63 years ago. No, no 73. 73 years ago. Oh, wow, we're so good at math. <laughs> um, good thing I don't study that. Anyway, so, and and still, everybody including the Americans and a lot of people in the world, like a lot of global citizens, Mm -hmm. sees them in this light. Yeah, true. And points this role to them. And I find that really fascinating. And this whole thing, like, this perception, starts with this speech, basically. Feeling about it. But when I first, like, heard or read the entire speech. I was like, are we sure this is 1947? Like, are we sure we're not, like, in the 60s, like, in the midst of the Cold War?
1: Yeah. It's like, the Cold War hasn't really started yet. It was, like, in its beginnings, and it was clear that something was gonna happen because there was so much tension in the air, but it was not really, like, the the bipolar world didn't really like they it wasn't manifest yet it started to begin to crystallize but like that was it like it's so crazy how from the beginning on from the like direct beginning you can totally see that something is gonna happen between these two like forces because they're just so different and they tell each other that they don't like the being different from the other person or the other country which is like I don't know I I never really thought about like when it was in time of, of like the Cold War period cuz I don't... for me it's just like I know the Cold War was after the Second World War, World War but like in history lesson we're not like really at the like high points yet but obviously thinking about it like all the like real wars that were like in Vietnam and stuff that was all like in the 50s 60s no in the 60s not in the 50s in the 60s and that's like that's
0: like 5 years before before that even happened yeah and to me it's just so mind blowing <laughs> that those two forces they just fought a freaking war on the same side and i mean the united states lost a lot of its people but then when you go on the Russian or Soviet side, they lost freaking millions of people. They, like, they suffered so bad. Like, not only did they lose a lot of people, but it cost them a lot. Their nation was practically in ruins as well because yeah. they were directly hit by the war. Like, it was on their own territory. I mean, sure, Pearl Harbor, and I know for the United States, that's really... Important, but that's like the only thing that really happened on their own land and um and not even two years later, they're just like they're such opponents, and I think it's just remarkable if you think how long that opposition went on, like until the early nineties until basically mm. the Soviet Union collapsed from the inside out, yeah. And looking back, it's a freaking long time period. That's like 50 plus years. Mm -hmm. And nothing really... Like, to say nothing really happened is a vast understatement. But this thing everybody was so concerned about, like the Third World War, it didn't happen. And that, to me, is really crazy. And the two... Forces or the two opponents, the two big nations, kind of fought their wars on the backs of poor, small countries, yeah. like especially Korea, Vietnam, and Afghanistan, too. And to me, that is really telling. And I think that is just kind of what the world came down to, especially after the Second World War. Because if you look today, into many countries where war is really raging and you actually look at who are the players there it's quite seldom that it's really just the people in the country it's usually like two international forces or more that more or less just want to as in this case as Truman says about Greece and Turkey they just, they have their own interests and they use these smaller countries as like their chess board. Yeah. And the people there are the chess figures. And you can sacrifice their lives because it's not your own people. To me, that's just, it's kind of sickening that it's been going on that long and everybody kind of knows about it. But nobody really yeah. seems to care to stop and think yeah, cuz
1: I think that for most people what is going on now in their minds just can't be compared to what was going on during the cold war period. But if you think about like you said it's not that big of a difference. And some people even say or like I think our history teacher is um always tells us that history is in the eye of like its viewer, like you can view it from so many different angles that some people even say that the Cold Cold War never ended and it's still going on. Um which is something you could think because the like the wars in other countries that they kinda of, like the both sides kind of thought but like not directly, it's still they still are they are still going on or they were going on for a long time and then they stopped, but another war in another poor country started. So, and it doesn't really matter whether you see the wars in Afghanistan or basically in so many countries. Whether you say now that is like a continuing of the Cold War period or it's just new wars going on, it doesn't really matter. It's something that we have to do something about it, but somehow everyone just neglects that it's their responsibility to Mm -hmm. do something about it
0: yeah but there is one thing like I, i agree with most of what you said but one thing you just said is like it doesn't really matter and i totally disagree like to me so much about learning about history um not just about our national history but especially about international history and i think actually that World War Two was a huge, huge tipping point. Um I think it was a huge it was kind of just like a turnover of everything. And I think it's so important when you deal especially like with conflict, whether they're national, international, not only just conflicts, but just international relations in general. It's so important to know the history. To know what's behind it, and one of my favorite examples right now is, and that actually stems from this period, and like the whole starting point was this Truman Doctrine was the Korean War. So with, I mean, before the Korean War, like after World War Two, there was no South and North Korea. It was just Korea. It was one nation. True. And then, sort of, the Soviets came in. Right at the end, because and because they were still kind of partners, and World War II was still going on. And the United States said, you know, now that the West is done, like, help us defeat Japan, and then blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they dropped the atomic bomb, bloop, and Korea had been occupied, bloop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, not for the people there, wasn't it just a bloop, it was a blow. But, um, so... And Korea, up until the defeat of Japan, had been occupied by Japan. So what now happened is that, obviously, the Soviets were like, come on, like, we are partners, like, we want influence in this region as well. And Korea was this, like, nitty-gritty, like, small part. Yeah. So what happened was that, like, the Soviets installed in North Korea a leader the United States and saw the leader there in the south blah 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 war came da 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 da, da. they fought it was a stalemate after a while what did they do they just kind of drew a random line there was never a peace agreement so the war never ended actually um and so in North Korea everybody who kind of lives there now has this perception and was raised in the fear the United States will attack us again and they will destroy because North Korea was completely destroyed. There was nothing left. There was almost no house standing after that war. So they've been raised in this belief that the United States are just aggressors. They're going to attack them at any point and they believe this and they fear this. And I think since North Korea is so isolated today, we don't really know what those people think and what they believe and we are not even beginning to be able to understand or empathize with their points of view unless we go back in history and really learn about what happened and why it came to what it is now. Mm -hmm. To me, what is so, so frightening is to have people in power who are, first of all, uneducated and second of all, and I think it's even more important, unwilling to learn. Yeah. And to me, like this whole thing, it all started out with that speech, more or less. And now, just it wasn't that long ago where we're like, fuck, is North Korea gonna release nuclear weapons? Yeah. Is Trump gonna push that red button?
1: Is like World War Three happening after like seventy three years of Cold War? Yeah. Like is that gonna like did it did it actually never end and we just people just didn't yes. notice it
0: was still going on? Yeah. And because of what? Because there were two forces who said our system is the only one that's gonna bring peace. Yeah. And it only brought war. Like the point Truman's coming from I understand and I I don't want to, you know, say I know what he thinks or how he felt or anyway, But I don't think that he meant for this doctrine kind of to just go on forever. I think he was truly coming from a point like yeah. this is the situation now. Just let people in their own country mind their own business and choose what they want. And if they come to you, like Greece it and said, can you give us some money? And can you give us ABC so we can achieve the... Yeah. Then, yes, everybody, every country that has the means to do it should go for it. But we should just not assume that what we have and what we got is what other people want or got. Like on an individual level. Yeah, totally. Within one society, like how I live as a Christian is what is the best. So, my Muslim neighbor has to live this way too. No, like, maybe it's for the best for me, but it mustn't be for my, my neighbor. He can be an atheist, he can be a Muslim, he can be a Buddhist, I don't care. It's not any of my business. And the same goes for countries. Goes eh? for everything. Yeah. It's just like, leave everybody alone. If they need help, they're gonna come, they're gonna ask, and then help them.
1: If you can. If it's not destroying yourself. Yeah. But don't just... Assume that they want your help because yeah. you just don't are like bigger they, or yeah. you'll like have more money or you just like better what you're doing. It doesn't really matter whether you're a big country and you feel like your system is the best or whether you're just a random person and you feel like well, my way of life is good for me, so it must be good for others. No, probably it won't be good for others because everybody is just different and so every country is different. How, where would we be if every country in the world would have the same system as Germany or as the U.S.? It just even the systems of Germany and the U.S. are in itself like, like vastly different. They are so different, and both countries they work or they work so good for in their own ways. And both countries have flaws, and both countries have stuff to fix. I mean, nothing is perfect in this
0: world. But so I guess. The one thing that we can draw from this is mind your own business and wait until somebody asks for your help and don't don't force your supposed help help on the other person and Another thing might be don't just take a historical statement for the truth of all time, yeah, kind of stop rethink, view the present situation. And then go on. Yeah.
1: Look at things in a more reflective way when you come to history. And
0: always, always learn about the history of a situation before you go in to fix it. Yeah.
1: Or if you go in to ju- just judge it. It like, doesn't really matter what you want to do with the situation. If you don't want to just keep it to yourself, go educate yourself before it. Because it might end really, really embarrassing for yourself if you don't. True. (laughs) So, guys, I think we're at a point where the discussion kind of ended. Or, well, I think we could go on forever. But, like, we're going to leave it at that for today. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode about the Truman doctrine.
0: I really enjoyed making it. I learned so much today, actually. So, I guess this seems to be our theme now. Educate yourself. And... just enjoy learning yeah and um, I guess all that's left to say is stay kind yeah stay healthy and well stay safe correct corona
1: is still going on if you haven't
0: noticed already just a quick reminder (laughs) yeah and um, keep reading keep learning and Just keep being open for changing your mind. Exactly. See you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye.